Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. I, as always, am your host, Simon. Welcome, welcome back. This one, written by Matt. Thank you, Matt. It's called Austin Harif, the Frat Boy Werewolf. Frat Boy Werewolf sounds like it could be like a weird B-action movie from the 1980s. Or on a true crime podcast, it's probably going to be, you know, an episode about someone who gets their face eaten by someone in like, you know some sort of crazy psychotic rage and because this is a true crime show maybe someone's gonna get their face eaten good it's not good at all welcome to the casual criminalist let's jump in pack your bags pack your swimwear my friends we're going on a trip we are that sounds awesome it's like early december which definitely spoils uh, just quite how far ahead I am recording these things, which maybe isn't, it's been a couple of weeks, so maybe I'm not as far ahead as I think, but it's cold here, it snowed the other day, and I want to go on holiday, I'm going to uh, Barcelona in January, which will be rather nice, <laughs> the weather is better there than where I live. The date is August the 15th, 2016, and the specific place is Jupiter in Florida, not Jupiter the planet, obviously, that would be further Great joke there, Simon. Well done. Big brain. That was amazing. That was great. The northernmost town in Palm Beach County. It's a lovely town. About 61,047 people. <laughs> About. <laughs> Sounds like it's exactly that many people, Matt. Uh, it was even named the ninth best southern beach town to live as of this year. Matt, are we getting paid by Jupiter? Because at this rate, we bloody well should be. Sunny and warm, it seems we're not. That's not a sponsored disclaimer. I haven't been paid by Jupiter. I don't think Matt has either. I hope not. <laughs> Otherwise, Matt, I'm going to want a slice. Sunny and warm. It seems like a quaint little town. Though, given it's in Florida, there's bound to be some strangeness about, no doubt. As we walk down the warm sidewalk, while the sun sets in the distance, we come to the house of Jeff Fisher. He's going about his business. None the wiser that his night of foreseeable future is about to be changed, as are the lives of people in the beachside town. That's because as night falls over Jupiter, the darkness has fully taken root in the mind of a poor and sick individual. It has been working its way into his mind for quite some time, biding its time, and now has fully latched onto his brain, warping his sense of what is reality and what is fantasy. I've just realized the reason I came up with that werewolf example of someone having their face eaten is because however many months ago when Matt pitched this to me, I think he told me that this is about someone who eats someone's face off. And... Yeah, I'm just remembering that now, so it makes my joke seem rather distasteful, doesn't it? I apologize. That's that's not nice. Jeez. I think it's I think that's where we're about to go. Let's see. Sadly, tonight it all came pouring out of him like a waterfall. As we observe Jeff getting ready to head to bed for the night, uh, we take note of a woman across the street watching television in her open garage, enjoying the warm night breeze blowing in and saying hello to her passing neighbors. <laughs> what what? There's a woman. So she uh, she must have one of these houses like you see in American movies or maybe in America. Americans. You know where there's like the little square? Like imagine American beauty and all those houses are on the street and then there's that garage that faces out to the street. It's close enough to the street so that you could wave at people. I've never lived in a house like this. I feel like we're our houses are always further away. If your house has a garage, it's going to be further away from the street than someone walking by. I suppose not. Maybe there are houses like that. I've never lived in a house like this, is what I'm trying to say. It's also very weird that someone is just sitting in the garage with the garage door open, just watching TV and waving to their neighbors. Is this some sort of normal American thing? Because that seems weird. This is Michelle Mishcon, 53 years old and a recently retired financial advisor. And this is a common thing for her to do, is fully furnished with a television, chairs, couches, and even a large mounted deer's head. <laughs> All right. 
Her garage is a happy place. It's also common for her to be joined by her husband of 19 years, 59-year-old John Stevens, though he is out walking their dog Rebel at this time. What, do you not have a lounge? Do you not have a sitting room where you, like, watch TV in the evening? Like, isn't it weird? To, if your house has a garage, uh, like an indoor garage where you can park a car inside, it's got to be quite a good-sized house, right? I mean, large enough at least to have a living room. No? Am I insane? What's going on? It's then that we notice something out of the corner of our eye. A figure is running down the street and looking rather disorientated, he makes his way up Michelle's driveway. After a few moments, we hear the sound of what could be a scuffle. Hearing this, Jeff sits up and listens to get a better grasp of what it could be. And that's when we hear a scream. Jumping out of bed, Jeff runs downstairs and out his door looking across the street. At first he sees someone cornering a clearly terrified Michelle in her garage. And so he books it across the street and up the driveway to help her. Michelle is now laying on her back on the ground and the assailant looks to be punching her over and over with no sign of stopping. As Jeff comes into view, the attacker, without any hesitation, gets back to his feet, glaring daggers into him. It's here that we get a good look at the individual. He's a man of about 19 years old, handsome, with short, curly brown hair, muscular build, and a vacant, crazed look in his dark eyes as he snarls a warning at Jeff. You don't want a part of this. Not paying him any mind, Jeff rushes at the young man just as the attacker swings at him and catches him on the side of the head. Grabbing a hold of the kid, Jeff flings him down on the hard cement floor, the assailant's face cracking against the ground, but much to Jeff's shock, the kid gets right back up on his feet as if nothing had happened. Just as Jeff is getting ready to fend him off again, he quickly becomes aware of a torturous pain in his head and a red sticky liquid, quickly drenching the side of his head and face, making its way onto his shirt and down his arms. The young man has in his clenched fist a knife, and he has managed to stab Jeff with it. Not only did he stab him with it, but from that one hit, he was able to slice into Jeff's face, neck, his back, causing him to bleed profusely. Unsure of how truly bad he was hurt and thinking there's a good chance that it could be fatal, Jeff makes a judgment call. As quickly as he can, with all of his energy draining fast, he bolts into Michelle and John's house, thinking that the attacker is going to give chase. He makes it out the back door and around the property until he makes it back to his own house, locking the door and calling 911. Transcript. Jeff, please, get medical. Young man beating up a woman across the street. Operator. Okay, are they outside or in the house? Jeff. It's in the garage. Operator. Are either of them injured? Can you tell from where you are? Jeff. Yes. There's a girl laying on the ground. He beat her up. I ran over there. I'm bleeding profusely here at the moment. I don't know what happened. Operator. Can you tell if she's conscious? Jeff. No. It does not appear so. No, I've been stabbed in the back and I'm bleeding pretty bad. That's the end of the transcript. The entire time Jeff was fleeing, he thought that he was doing the right thing, that he was helping Michelle by leading the young man away, but he was doing anything but. The attacker simply went right back to his dark handiwork, and it only got worse. Soon enough, John came home to a horror show, only to get sucked into it as well. Sadly, we can't help these people, dear audience, nor can we help their attacker, a young man by the name of Austin Haroof, as the darkness has taken a hold of him and refused to let go. Yeah, this sounds like if this was being defended in court, it'd be like, this is that, this is an insanity defense. Like this guy just seems to have lost his mind unless there's some motive behind the attack. But like, what is going on? Like if you're caught attacking someone, obviously in daylight, and then you don't stop when you're caught, then something that's, that's very strange. 
That same darkness consumes us now as we dive deep into the mind of an unfortunate boy plagued by his own brain and its rapid degeneration as we witness his decline and the failure of his loved ones to act fast enough to stop the abyss from swallowing him whole. Even a man who is pure of heart. So let's take a step back and start at the very beginning. Austin Arif was born in Palm Beach County, Florida on December the 21st, 1996 to parents Wade and Mina Harif. I always feel so old. It's like 1996. I remember 1996. I was nine. And yeah, you're always like, and then I realized what someone born in 2001 is now like, they're like 21. How that that's so crazy. A year later, he would become a big brother to his little sister, Haley. Wade was a dentist and a pharmacist, and he was making a good amount of money to support his family, so much that he was able to keep up the uptake of their large and beautiful home in what is considered to be one of the wealthiest places to live in the entire USA. Palm Beach County, Florida, huh? I don't know it. I know Flo there's a lot of people who retire to Florida, right? And it's I've been to Florida a few times, because when I was a kid, Disney World was there. So we'd go on holiday to Disney World. I've been a few... I don't know how many times I've been. I was young, but it was it was several times. And Florida was always nice. The weather was really good. One year we went, and then like two weeks later there was a huge hurricane. And my dad, I remember showing me the news. It was like, yeah, this is that. That's where we were staying. That town. And it was like completely like destroyed by this hurricane. And I'm like, God damn, Florida's crazy. They were living the good life, one big happy family, that is, until 2010 rolled around and Wade and Mina decided to suddenly get a divorce. Normally this is the part where we go into detail about how this ruined Austin's life or scarred him forever, but that doesn't appear to be the case. Both children seemed to adjust fairly quickly as they stayed at their home with their mother and their father moved into a nearby place to stay close to his kids. A year after this happened, both of his parents were in a relationship once more and Austin began his high school career. Now for most of us, we look back on high school as an awkward and sometimes embarrassing time in our lives kids growing up and learning how the world works as they get older austin however seemed to be a high school success story a big muscular dude austin was a member of his school's football team throughout all four years and even wrestled during his sophomore year i don't know i was not an athlete obviously <laughs> look at me i like no muscles but i don't know i liked school we call it secondary school i like school i had a good time i mean obviously like <laughs> there's definite moments of awkwardness and embarrassment but I don't know. Quite a good experience. Stereotypical jock, right? Well, not quite. Austin was very intelligent, placing at the top of his courses all throughout his schooling. And even though he looked like the type of guy who could rough you up at a moment's notice, that's the last thing he ever wanted to do. A pacifist with a big heart, he was playful and funny, always smiling and having a great time. He smiled so much every day that his father nicknamed him the happy boy. Known to stick his neck out, help anyone he could, Austin began looking more and more into a career where he could help as many people as possible, eventually focusing on medicine. Near the end of his senior year, Austin's prayers had been answered. Before his graduation, he received a letter from Florida State University accepting him into their four-year pre-med program. A dream come true, Austin was ecstatic and accepted right away, enjoying the summer with his friends and family. Austin packed up the ends of the break and drove with his family to Tallahassee, Florida. Moving into his dorm and starting on his path to success, Austin was going in the right direction. His first year came and went, and everything appeared to be going according to plan. He was doing well in his studies and working towards his career as he majored in biology. He found himself a nice girlfriend, he was a member of a fraternity, and had taken up bodybuilding in the absence of football and gathered a big social media presence by making videos for YouTube. Well, what do you know? God, we live in the future, don't we? I'm making a true crime story about a dude who does who was like born in 1996 and makes youtube videos 
the fact that these people are old enough to have a true crime podcast cover them is kind of intense i really this guy seems like he must have had some mental break right to just do this sort of thing although matt said that his brain was degenerating which makes me think like i i kind of my hope is for this episode and i know whenever people say <laughs> see this and they always comment i i'm so familiar with the comment of like oh simon's gonna be so disappointed because he starts off being like yeah this will definitely end by that guy getting the treatment he needs and he won't go to prison because it was obviously like temporary insanity or whatever they'll give him his pills and he'll continue his life and he'll be a doctor and now he's head of surgery and you're like i just know that's not gonna happen <laughs> oh no it seemed to be smooth sailing on the surface underneath the smile here's a question for everyone out there who here is good at hiding their emotions or how about this let's get a show of hands for everyone who has ever been under a mountain of pressure of their own making and has to force a smile not to worry those you love uh no i'm pretty bad at this i'm not very good at hiding my emotions i don't know i'll be able to, i got a short temper i'll like easily get upset at things or like angry at things or like i'll also get happy at, like easily happy about things like i don't know my my emotions are I'd rather I was I'd rather be better at burying them a little bit, but I've never been very good at that. So I'm just kind of like, okay, <laughs> just they live at the surface, and so no, I'm not very good at that. To answer your question, Matt. But enough about my personal life. Let's get back <laughs> to Austin, who was dealing with the exact same thing. It wasn't so much that his family was putting all this pressure on his shoulders, so much as it was that he was doing it to himself. Starting at age 17, Austin started drinking, and to say he drank like a fish would be an understatement. On many occasions, and especially at parties, Austin would drink so heavily that it'd black out every single time. That's pretty heavy. Like, I don't know, I've definitely had periods in my life, like university and such, where it's been like, yeah, no, we'll get a little bit leery, but there's only a few times in my life where I've been like proper blackout drunk, where it's like, what is going on and what happens? <laughs> Why am I still wearing my clothes? But like every night, my dude is like, that's that's too much. That's too. Much. In fact, it's probably you should probably say should never get blackout drunk. <laughs> it's been a very long time. Eventually, put down the bottle for good. Excellent, good for you. Only to dive headlong into other substances in order to escape the issues that had been suffering with. Weed was quite prominent in his life, so much so that he ended up smoking every single day, supposedly to help him sleep. That's got to be better. Like I don't smoke much weed and i mean <laughs> it's not legal where i live so i i don't smoke any weed uh <laughs> allegedly uh but i feel like that's a lot healthier than getting blackout drunk right getting too high is like you're not gonna wake up the next day and be like oh my liver hurts or oh, my head is exploding oh, i need to be sick you're just like wow got super high still feel it now there's nothing wrong with that the devil's lettuce is a fairly harmless pastime but the other stuff wasn't you name it austin took it mushrooms lsd adderall mdma these are pretty like these are not they're like party drugs though like not they're not you know he's not on um crystal meth crack cocaine heroin then these aren't really life-ruining drugs. No one's like, my life was destroyed by LSD. It's like, no, LSD was a fun Saturday afternoon. It's not like, people don't get addicted to that shit, do they? <laughs> I mean, Adderall maybe, because it's like baby coke, but not, I don't think these are like the... W <laughs> They're not the worst drugs, are they? Kind of like, these are pretty chill drugs. These are party drugs. Uh, I've, ne I've never done any of these drugs, by the way. I'm not a big drug person mushrooms as adderall mdma no i've never done any of those the man had a cavalcade of drugs in his system 
at all times. Austin, for most of his life, had also been struggling with some underlying mental issues. Depression is a hell of a thing and something that most people deal with from time to time. Austin was no exception, and growing up, he struggled with occasional episodes of depression, though as he got older, and particularly in 2016 while he was in college, said episodes got worse along with becoming more frequent. He'd be on the highest of highs only to crash down to the lowest of lows, and it seemed to affect him more and more in his daily life. Um, obviously I'm not a doctor or an expert in this in any way. This is, um, manic depression, bipolar disorder, right? Where you have the super high highs and the super low lows. This doesn't sound like he needs MDMA in this kind of stuff. It sounds like he needs like, um, antidepressants or, um, these antidepressants that deal with, uh, bipolar disorder. God, I know nothing about this. It's that for bipolar, right? That keeps, it just keeps you more chill. It keep or like it keeps you at a level rather than all the highs and lows. His internet searches by the end of the school year included things such as "How do you know if you're going crazy?" and "Do I need to sleep?" Um, the answer to the first one is "It's not your problem. Go see a psychiatrist, and they will tell you." And the second one is "Yes, yes, you do need to sleep." This shows he was aware that something must have been wrong, though he never reached out to help from anyone. Reaching out for help is really hard. Like if you need help with something, it's very especially i feel like for young guys that's i don't i feel like i don't know maybe i'm just speaking from like person not personal experience but like the experience of my gender maybe but then i don't have the experience of the other gender so i can't really speak to it but i feel like there's that kind of like no no or maybe maybe it's more like being british it's probably more of a british thing which is just like no 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 you just uh stiff up a lip old bean carry on yes no need to do that just you're you're a good boy carry on during this time, it started becoming more serious, more devoted to serious topics, particularly focused on civil rights matters, even claiming to be a spokesman for the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, getting involved with pressing issues is a bad thing. In fact, it's fairly commendable, but it was such a huge tonal shift from the person that he was that it just felt off. And he wouldn't shut up about it either. During that summer in 2016, he would talk to anyone who would listen about these serious and heavy topics, including the waiting patients at his father's dental practice while he worked there over school break. Just what I need, a root canal and a lecture. However, these odd actions and behaviors wouldn't be the only issue with Austin. The darkness had already started its devilish work on the boy, bringing to the surface that which had laid dormant within him for many years and making them ten times worse. Monsters of the Mind Unfortunately, depression wasn't the only thing that Austin had to contend with growing up. When he was younger, he would have bouts of sleep paralysis, accompanied by some minor hallucinations. Then in August of 2016, while staying at his girlfriend's house, the hallucinations all came flooding back to Austin like a tidal wave. He woke up that night in a sweat and told his girlfriend that he was seeing monsters. Well, not the first time he had seen things that weren't real. This time, they seemed to be more pronounced than before, so much so that something within Austin seemed to change. Soon he began studying religion and looking into the topic of philosophy. Through his studies, he believed that he would be the next savior of the people comparing himself to figures like Jesus and Gandhi. He even believed that he had gained superpowers and that he had the ability to manipulate water. If he's telling someone this, if this you're his family, if someone's, if you're so, if someone in your family is saying this kind of stuff, like definitely get them get the get them an appointment with someone like to look into this because there's definitely something wrong like because he's not like jesus or gandhi no one's like that it's jesus well gandhi was like real i mean let's not get into the jesus debate but you know what i mean if someone's like thinking they're the savior and all of this stuff be like have a little intervention you know be like how about we go see uh, dr so-and-so 
he'll uh, maybe want to check you out. Maybe give you a little druggy drug. You love drugs, remember? Austin continued to get worse and worse as the weeks rolled by. During this time, he was terrified of the dark, stating that evil spirits were after his soul, and he would sleep with a family dog every night because he believed the pooch would scare the ghosts away. He at one point moved his bed into the garage as he believed that his home was infested with demons, and at night he would wander endlessly around the house, loudly proclaiming every two hours to his family that he was guarding them and their home from the wicked evil that was all around them. So... When Matt started this piece and he was like, and then the family didn't do anything. There was a line which I didn't comment on, but I thought about for a second where it was like, he said the family didn't do anything. And I'm like, mm, you don't want to blame the family like too much. Like, and then I realized, oh no, don't, the, the, you should have, you should have done something. Like if this is what's happening, this guy, you need to, you need to get them some help. He even started to believe he was a centaur, a half-man, half-horse mythological creature, because his star sign was Sagittarius. We'll come back to that, a whole half-animal thing later. Trust me, it'll be very relevant soon enough. I have no idea how that could... <laughs> his belief in him being cent a centaur is somehow relevant to this story, which is intense. This guy has lost it. He's lost his mind. In a message to his girlfriend Katie several days before the attack, Austin stated, I don't think I'm going crazy, I'm just evolving, becoming more intelligent, thinking that I am worthy and just to help others with the pain that they have. That's all I want. Then, on August the 14th, 2016, the Sunday before the attack we started our story with today, Austin attended a gun show with his father, his father's girlfriend, and a friend of his. It was there that Austin bought a knife for protection. This same knife will be used quite heavily the next day. The day of the attack. With everything established, we are once more back to the day of August the 15th, 2016. It's worth noting at this point, Austin's family had indeed been worried about him for quite some time, as his behavior over the summer had continued to get stranger. However, instead of thinking there was something wrong with his mental state, they confronted him and asked if he was doing drugs, to which he admitted that he was. Either way, he needs help. Like, yo, if someone comes to you and is like, I'm staying up at night to protect you because I'm a centaur, doesn't matter what they're on. If they're on something, they need to get off it. And if they're not on something, they need to get on to something else. Like a proper drug for people who think they're centaurs. Because he's not a centaur and it's kind of fucked up. Alright? If anyone in your life thinks they're a centaur right now, assistance for them. It's necessary. Quickly. And if you're thinking maybe you're a centaur, also get help. You're not. You're not a centaur. They're not real. His family clung to the belief that it was the drugs making him act like he was, even after it told them he'd given up drugs near the tail end of summer vacation. It's understandable that they would first latch on to any explanation, that they wouldn't want to face the reality that something was off with their son's brain. However, when it became clear that something other than drugs was wrong with Austin, his family made a plan to utilize something known as the Baker Act, also known as the Florida Mental Health Act of 1971. The act allows for involuntary institutionalization, an examination of a patient with said examination sometimes lasting up to 72 hours before the patient is deemed medically stable. Excellent. This sounds like something he definitely needs to utilize. At the end of the 72 hours, the family or caretakers of the patient are given a treatment plan so they may help their loved one going forward. This act is able to be initiated by the family and friends of said individual, but only under the conditions that the patient has shown signs of a possible mental illness and is in danger of becoming a harm to themselves or others or is self-neglectful. It's great there's a law like this that exists. It's got to be super hard to get something like that passed, right? Because you're essentially saying that you can lock someone up. They haven't committed any crimes. You can get them, like, 
locked up for like 72 hours even if they haven't done anything because you think you know as an adult you're not committing any crimes you're not breaking the law who has the right to take you away but it's nice that something like this exists i'm sure it can be abused but i imagine it's something that does more good than bad right for people who think they're centaurs sadly while the right course of action it came far too late that morning austin was reported to have headed to a friend's house and after an odd conversation where austin asked what year he was born his friend suggested they drive to the beach to meet up with a group of friends along with austin's little sister Haley, to which austin agreed after arriving at the beach austin excused himself saying that he'd forgotten something at home when he returned he had changed his outfit now donning long thick pants sunglasses two wristwatches and a thick falcon jersey yeah wearing two wristwatches <laughs> you just need to double check the time <laughs> now it was a rather hot day it's florida after all so his friends were perplexed at his outfit giving him guff about it and saying that he'd be too hot in those clothes austin who normally would have taken their teasing in stride exploded at his friends and sister saying if you fucking tell me i'm crazy i will fucking kill you this once again was sad a character for the happy and goofy austin they all knew and loved that they were all taken aback apologizing and letting the matter drop austin still agitated continued to give nasty looks to his friends saying mean-spirited remarks and running around like an animal the entire time they were at the beach when Haley confronted him and told him to settle down he did so only to tell her he was half horse and that he was also immortal oh dude i mean it does feel like okay you can see why it maybe took them a while to call to do something about his mental health but once you've decided to do that just do it oh yay austin haley and his friends eventually broke off from the group and headed together to duffy's the local restaurant in the area to meet up with austin's father and his girlfriends as the three of them were walking along suddenly austin decided he wanted to test his so-called immortality so he began walking into the oncoming traffic thankfully haley was able to grab him before there is that what self-neglectful or whatever it was reason for putting people on that 72 hour mental health thing yeah walking straight into traffic because you think you're an immortal half horse yeah that qualifies let's go so yeah if things didn't seem dire before they certainly seem so now finally meeting up with wade and his girlfriends the five of them entered duffy's and were seated at the back of the restaurant things are going well for a little bit that is until 15 minutes or so into the meal at that point austin simply got up for his table and walked out the front door no prompting no altercation no real indication as to why he simply got up and left but it wouldn't take long to figure out where he was going a few minutes later austin's mother mina who lived fairly close to the restaurant heard someone enter her house going to investigate she discovered austin in her kitchen what was he doing there why he was chugging down vegetable oil like it was nothing and scarfing down parmesan cheese leaving a mess all over the counter that's rough like i like parmesan cheese but dude it's super strong also he's drinking oil which is uh it's not the sign of a mentally healthy individual running up to him and stopping from consuming any more mina made him change his clothes as they were now a mess from the cheese and oil and then drove him back to the restaurant driving away after dropping him off <laughs> he's fine he might be a little sick later and he's gonna have a horrible poo tomorrow but he's fine as soon as austin sat down wade who'd had enough of austin's antics over the months finally looked at his son and said totally exasperated oh, what is wrong with you with those words from his father oh i'm sorry i forgot his father was at the restaurant so it's not like the 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 mother just dropped him off and that was that obviously the father's there that's fine sorry should keep track of what's going on in today's episode better and after months of his mind slipping further and further away whatever was holding austin haroof together finally snapped and the darkness consumed his heart and mind completely 
With that, Austin stood up and slammed his father's face against the back of the booth before letting him go and storming out of the restaurant. After a moment, his friend got up and went to look for him. By that time, it was too late. Austin was gone, and the darkness was in control. When the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. And with that, we're right back where we started. Jeff had called the police and was lying there in his house, losing blood fast, all while the screaming from across the way was getting worse. Soon enough, though, the sounds of sirens pierced the night as the police rushed to the scene. Allow me to put your mind at ease for Jeff. He was found and patched up, and the medics made it just in time to save his life. The same can't be said for John and Michelle. Disclaimer. What's about to be relayed, Simon, is rather disturbing and graphic. However, it is truly the crux of the case and the biggest part of the story. So stay the course, boss, and hold on to your butts and your stomachs, ladies and gents. Um, okay. Okay. Like, Matt knows the rules about less or more CSI, but, you know, sometimes these things... It's the crux. I'm trusting you, Matt. Please don't ruin my day. I get the feeling this is going to ruin my day. <laughs> As the officers arrived at John and Michelle's house and exited their vehicles, they could hear what sounded like the grunts and snarls of an animal, the weak and desperate calls for help, and they could see a large stream of blood flowing down the length of the driveway. Rushing up to the garage, guns in hand, the police were thrown headlong into a horror movie. Michelle was lying lifeless inside the garage, having been beaten and stabbed to death before the police could arrive. John was a different story, and Austin was still upon him when the police arrived. Austin had John on his back on the ground, gasping weakly for help from the officers. He wasn't beating him. He wasn't stabbing him. No, he was eating him. Yes, you read that right. I promised I'd look up more cannibal stories for you, so here we are. Oh God, I do remember now. Why? Austin Roof was latched onto John's face, pinning him to the ground with one arm, and with his free hand he had it hooked into John's cheek, allowing him to rip into it with his bare teeth, chewing and swallowing as he went, growling and snarling the whole time. As the police looked on, they observed that there were already portions of John's face and chest missing, indicating that Austin had been on him for several minutes, consuming this innocent man alive. I can only imagine the sheer agony and terror John must have experienced in those moments. The police leveled their guns at Austin, but they didn't want to shoot for fear of hitting John. Instead, one of the officers pulled out his taser, fired it into Austin, sending 50,000 volts of electricity through the man's body, and it did nothing. Austin simply ignored what should have been mind-numbing pain and continued to devour John's face, seemingly oblivious to the police's presence. Without a second of further hesitation, the same officer repositioned himself and kicked Austin squarely in the face, throwing him off John for but an instant. Austin, in his deranged state, simply leapt back onto John and continued to try and eat him, chomping down on his face. This continued repeatedly, with the officer kicking Austin in the face over and over again, only for Austin to completely ignore him and continue to try and eat more of John. As this was happening, more officers showed up, including the canine unit. Coming upon the situation, the dog was released and bit down on Austin's arm, pulling him off John. Austin, though, was like a rabid animal, ripping his arm from the dog's mouth, severely damaging his arm, and he jumped back onto John, determined to finish the job. They repeated this twice more, Austin's arm getting more and more mangled in the process, and on the third try, the officer kicked Austin in the head just as the dog pulled him back, which sent Austin flying. The officer wasted little time leaping over John and onto Austin, cuffing one hand and dragging him away from the victim. As he did so, Austin was screaming the whole time, Kill me, I'm eating people, kill me. 
Austin begged and pleaded over and over for the police to shoot him as he was dragged away, struggling to escape the whole time. It took several officers to pin him down and get the cuffs on him as he cried for death all the while. Checking on the victims, they confirmed that Michelle had passed away and John, while alive when they arrived, had succumbed to his wounds, having been beaten and stabbed repeatedly. As the officers tried to process all the carnage before their eyes, Austin went limp on the ground. They tried to wake him up with little success, so they loaded him into an ambulance and transported him to the hospital. The ironic part of this whole thing? As all of this madness was going down, 911 received another call from Austin's mother, Mina. She'd heard he was missing and was calling to see if anyone's seen him. Where we stand. While at the hospital, Austin was examined and he had sustained several injuries, including severe damage to his tongue, muscle and tissue damage to one arm thanks to the police dog, and a few scrapes and cuts on his hands. The real problem, though, was internal. Apparently, while he had been in the garage before the police arrived, Austin had picked up what he would later state he thought was alcohol and chugged the whole thing. This was most likely along the lines of bleach or some lawn care chemical, and it burned his throat and stomach, causing internal bleeding and severely damaging multiple organs, so much so that they continued to fail over the next several days. The doctors were able to bring him back from the brink, though, and after being in a coma for 11 days, Austin started to make a full physical recovery. The first thought on everyone's minds was that he must have been on some sort of drug. Illicit substances are not uncommon in Florida, and such drugs as bath salts and flacker were both very popular at this time. I recently made a video about flacker on one of my other channels called Into the Shadows. That drug is insanity. Like, if you haven't, that video got like millions of views in the first few days, uh, first few weeks. So um, maybe you've seen it already because lots of people did. But um, if you haven't, check it out. It's wild. There was even a well-documented incident of a man named Rudy Eugene high on bath salts attacking a maybe a homeless man named Ronald Popo. Eugene would become known as the Miami Zombie because of the incident, having eaten much of Popo's face during the attack. However, all tests came back negative. Austin was totally clean and sober at the time of the attack. Once he was awake and recovering, the police asked Austin about what had happened that night, why he did what he did. At first, Austin played dumb, saying he didn't remember anything about the night or any damage he had caused, but that didn't last long. What he told them next could only make sense in the mind of a crazy person, and further demonstrated just how far into mental illness Austin had fallen. After fighting with his dad and leaving Duffy's for the final time, Austin would, in his words, follow the stars, wandering the streets aimlessly until he came upon what he described as a dark, shadowy figure with a white face. Terrified, Austin ran for his life, screaming his head off. He would run for about four miles before he came to the neighborhood of John and Michelle. Not knowing where he was, he saw what he described as a bright light emanating from an open garage. Running up to the light and looking for help, he saw Michelle, who screamed as soon as she saw him. Believing her to be a witch, he pulled out a knife and began attacking Michelle. After attacking her and drinking what was in the garage, he claimed that he saw a white figure, presumably John with a dog, making its way into the garage, and then everything went dark. No mention of Jeff Fisher, no mention of interactions with the cops, no mention of eating John's face. For Austin, it was a total blank for almost two weeks after seeing the white figure and then waking up in the hospital. Austin, dubbed the face-eating murderer by the press, was taken into custody after he was released from the hospital, charged with the double murder of Michelle Michigan and John Stevens, and the attempted murder of Jeff Fisher. When word leaked to the public of the story, he told, many refused to believe it, calling it too fantastical and a clear ploy to aim for an insanity defense. 
However, that's not what the experts claim, particularly one Dr. Philip Bresnik, a world-renowned forensic psychologist who has worked on many high-profile cases. He examined Austin at length, and combined with all the information and time before the attack, he diagnosed him not only with schizophrenia, but also clinical lycanthropy. I don't know what lycanthropy is. The mythical transformation of a person into a wolf. There's a, there's a clinical term of that. It must be for people who um, believe it, right? It's a rare, oh, here we go. It's a rare psychiatric syndrome that involves a delusion that the affected person could transform into, has transformed into, or is an animal. Wow, okay. That's a clinical diagnosis. Well, I thought that would fall under some bigger umbrella of schizophrenia or something. Before anyone reaches for the silver bullets, it's simply a rare mental disorder that causes the patient to experience delusions and beliefs of being part animal, particularly a wolf. So, remember the instances where Austin claimed to be part horse? Well, there were also instances where he stated to his friends that he felt like he was part dog, both of which line up with the diagnosis. This would also explain Austin's animalistic and rabid behavior on the night of the attack, constantly going after John's face, even after he was tased and kicked off by the officer and even bitten by a dog. A werewolf in action and disposition, he was the furthest thing from human that night, at least in his mind. Perhaps the second half of the episode title makes sense to everyone now. The final thing to note here, before he was taken into custody, Austin actually did a 10-minute Zoom interview with none other than Dr. Phil McGraw, world-famous TV personality and former clinical psychologist. Wait, is Dr. Phil McGraw Dr. Phil? <laughs> really? During the interview, Austin told his side of the story, and when asked by Dr. Phil if he felt remorse for his actions, Austin said that he did, even though he personally doesn't remember what happened. Breaking down in tears, he proclaimed how sorry he was and that his life felt like a nightmare. So where does this leave us? Well, pretty much at a standstill. Austin was arrested in 2016 and has yet to still go on trial as of this year. What? It's nearly, it's six years later. It's nearly seven years later. That's insane. What? So he must be out of bail, or like he can't be in, in jail. You can't hold someone for that long in jail, right? Like, because this guy's insane. He just needs to be on drugs. If so, like, I mean, I always like try to put myself in like the position of a relative of a victim, right? But if my, what these people are all, if my parents had been killed in this manner and all the doctors are like, he's insane, uh, you've got to be like, it's not send him away for the rest of his life to prison it's like put him in a mental institution till he's better and you could be damn sure he's better because that's not right uh, to hold someone in jail for for this right i don't even know if he is let's just see where we're, where we're at the proceedings have constantly been postponed mostly due to COVID, and he remains in custody to this day that is not right that is just not right that's seven years nearly what's going on that's just not fair his defense lawyers have gone on record saying that he will be seeking to get a full acquittal by reason of insanity whenever the trial gets underway. I'd say they have a decent chance as psychologists from both the prosecution and the defense agree that he wasn't mentally sound during the attack six years ago. One way or another, one hopes things progress soon so that everyone involved can begin the process of healing from this terrible tragedy. I'm sorry, but it's not okay to keep... How six years is a long prison sentence. How can you hold someone in custody for that long without a trial? This is not okay, America. I can't believe this. Wrap up. And that, as they say, is that. A case that could have easily been prevented if more attention and care had been given in time, and one that hurts my heart every time I hear it. Austin Roof was a young man with all the potential in the world, a kind and fun-loving boy who only wanted to help people. But in the end, he ended up swallowed by the evil of his own minds, and it cost two innocent people their lives. 
I don't blame his parents entirely for this. They acted as most parents probably would. Parents never want to believe that something could be wrong with their child, but they need help. It's easier to either believe that it is something that will pass or to latch on to an external force such as drugs as the cause. In the same breath, had they paid closer attention and acted quicker, this whole thing could have been stopped before it even began. Osted could have gotten the help he so desperately needed and his victims would still be alive today. This is a difficult call to make. Like, yes, obviously he should have had some mental health intervention before this happened but it's very hard to to know it's very hard to know when to make that decision and when to pull that trigger and i don't want to blame his family for for that in my opinion as the darkness leaves us behind yet again i wish for us to think of the victims john stevens michelle mishkan this loving couple did nothing wrong they hurt no one and they were simply enjoying their golden years together only for everything to be taken away from them one dark night i feel very differently about this one and i feel this that also the 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 perpetrator in this case is also he's just he's a victim of his own of his own brain of his own clear mental mental disturb be mentally disturbed it this is so sad because it's like everyone's a victim in this case i hope despite their grisly end that they both find peace in whatever afterlife may or may not be waiting for us all in the end and my thoughts and condolences go to all the family members of both victims i hope they all can find solace and peace yeah, uh, but I don't mean to take away from John and Michelle on this one. They were just brutally killed. And obviously that's the saddest thing of all. As for Austin, while a killer, I find it impossible not to feel sorry for the man. He didn't want this. He didn't ask for this. His mind betrayed him and it caused him to do something awful, stealing away two souls in the grimmest possible way. The families of John and Michelle apparently are hoping for the death penalty should he be convicted. And I couldn't disagree more. Really? Again, this is one of those things, like I said earlier, I, I try to put my shoes in the in the family of the victims. And in this case, I couldn't, I couldn't. And I'm not against the death penalty. As people often point out, like I started the show being against it. And now I'm like, no, some people deserve to die. This guy doesn't. He needs to be treated for what is clearly a mental issue. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Matt. I couldn't disagree more with that. This young man was and is mentally ill, like the case of the Greyhound bus beheading. I believe that he should be sentenced to a mental hospital for however long the law sees fit and stick to his medication whenever he is released. Taking his whole life away because of something he has no control over wouldn't be justice, it would be vengeance. And that helps no one in a situation like this. This tragic act will haunt him for the rest of his days. And in my mind, that is punishment enough. I agree. Let, uh, let me know what you guys think in the comments below. This has been an episode of The Casual Criminals. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, if you uh, if you listen to this actually as a podcast, please do leave a review. That really does help us out. It gets the show in front of more people. I appreciate it. The, the number of people listening to this as a podcast is so high. I rarely check my stats on that. And I'm like, it's not quite as high as on YouTube, but it's way up there. And I was like, it kind of blew me away. So thank you everybody that listens to this on like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever. There are a huge number of you and that's kind of amazing. Thanks for your reviews. Thanks for everything. And uh, I'll see you next episode. Bye for now. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.